Hey friends, hey, and welcome to Everyday Oral Surgery. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinion. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, please go to our website, everydayoralsurgery.com, create a profile and log in. There you can find the episodes in a more searchable fashion. You can also post questions about the various topics that we've discussed, as well as new topics that you'd like to hear discussed. On the website, you can also sign up for the weekly newsletter that will highlight the current episodes. Most importantly, if you would like to be interviewed on the podcast or know someone you would like to hear from, please email me at grantstuckey at gmail.com and I'll get that arranged. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I'm with Dr. Jason Auerbach. He is an oral maxillofacial surgeon practicing in the New Jersey area. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. Thank you for having me. Oh, for sure. First question is if you can just kind of give us a brief history of your training and your current practice setup. Sure. So I finished training in 2003 at SUNY Downstate Medical Center, Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn. I came right out of dental school and did a four-year program at the time. You know, fewer than half of the programs were dual degree. And and for me, as someone who wanted to go into dental alveolar surgery, private practice, perfect situation for me. So I did, like I said, a four-year program at Kings County Hospital. I then started practicing in Manhattan for two of my attendings had a little bit of a side gig that I found out here in New Jersey that I eventually associated there full-time. And then a few years later, as luck would have it, I was in a situation where I went out on my own and fortunately started my practice, Riverside Oral Surgery, which is in Bergen County, very northern New Jersey, back in 2007. And we now have 12 offices, about 106 total team members, 14 surgeons, and just a great practice here in New Jersey. Well, that is awesome. Yeah, thank you. Very cool. You know, we've had several listeners actually get in touch with me and recommend I have a podcast with the Bloody Tooth Guy. Can you give us a little kind of history of how that came to be and your involvement with that? Sure, sure. You'd have to kind of go back in time a few years. So in 2015, Instagram was not quite in its infancy, but very early on in terms of their evolution as a social media platform. At the time, it was, I believe, only still photos on the feed. There were no videos at all. There were no stories. And there were very few, if any, kind of medical dental accounts And as such, when I started again in February of 2015, I was anonymous, did not disclose who I was, primarily because I didn't know how it was going to be received by my patients, or I didn't know what the HIPAA issues were. I didn't understand how my competing oral surgeons would kind of take it and potentially use it against me. So I was anonymous. And for the first four years, as Instagram changed, I kind of changed with it. And I was fortunate enough to be ahead of the curve, if you will. So I started taking pictures of just bloody teeth that evolved into kind of orchestrated photos of teeth in scenes. And then eventually video came to be and Instagram was 
incentivizing us, not financially, but with more exposure, they were incentivizing us to post videos. So I started posting videos of teeth and dental extractions and minor oral surgeries. And over time, it became almost like an educational content platform. And so many people across the world, I have a tremendous number of followers across the entire globe, were learning from me, learning how to do exodontia, wisdom tooth extraction, dental implants, minor pathology, just the stuff that we all in private practice oral surgery do. Again, it never was my thought that that's where this would be today, but it's evolved that way and it's been great. Yeah, that's incredible. Looks like I'm looking at your profile here. It looks like you have 181,000 followers. That's amazing. And it's all organic. Not one follower ever paid for nothing like that. It's pretty crazy. I mean, to this day, I'll go to a restaurant in New York City or some random spot and there'll be like a young dentist who will come up to me and say, are you bloody tooth guy? And it's like, if I'm with my family or I'm with friends, I mean, everybody knows now, but it's completely surreal because I'm a oral surgeon. Like I'm not a celebrity, but in this right. very, very <laughs> small vertical, I'm a little bit of a celebrity. It's nice. It's That's good cool. Yeah. 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 And so you're using it mostly as a kind of a teaching opportunity, which is pretty cool. Does it have any, I guess, benefits or back and forth with your actual practice? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, there are patients who come to me because of my Instagram reputation. And there are doctors who refer me patients because of that. But it's interesting, you know, like I'm on in my career now. I, as I said, I finished training in 03. The practice has been around since 07. So, you know, I have thankfully developed a good reputation in the area. I'm known by, you know, to the referring doctors and to the population at large up here as a pretty good oral surgeon. So that works in my favor. I've probably capitalized more on my practices, social media, than my practices revenue. Also, in terms of being able to attract younger oral surgeons to come to Riverside Oral Surgery, that's been helpful as well. That's awesome. And can you give us a little bit of a history on how you came to be such a big practice? Is that your original intention was to grow it to this size or to kind of snowball? My initial intention always was to grow something beyond me. I was very cognizant of that when I named the practice. I could have named it Jason at Auerbach Oral Surgery or whatever, or I just came up with a name that I thought was a little ubiquitous in Riverside. It wasn't specific to the county or the state or the town or the operator. It was just kind of a, a business that I could build into anywhere. My initial philosophy was that I would, I mean, I built a practice on differentiating myself by creating this optimal patient experience. So through technology, through patient interaction, through this history with hospitality and all this kind of stuff, I was very, very focused on improving and kind of redefining the patient experience. And I'd, so my second practice was a practice that existed on my periphery of the zone of influence where I was. It was about nine miles north, which in an area where I currently live is a very, very far distance, believe it or not. We pass about 15 towns in those nine miles. And so because of that, I was able to open a practice there, put a really good surgeon in that practice, expand the scope, improve the facility, improve the marketing, the technology. And that practice is now doing probably six times what it was doing when I acquired it. The doctor there is now my partner. 
and he's an exceptional surgeon. He also, like I said, expanded the scope. So for me as an oral surgeon, though full scope trained, he's a microvascular surgeon, head and neck, American head and neck society trained surgeon, special dude. So he really kind of legitimized what we were trying to do in building full scope. Then it was the third office, fourth office, whatever number of office. And now we have basically every single fellowship trained subspecialty here. So it's a full scope oral maxillofacial surgery practice, including cleft and craniofacial, like I said, head and neck, even TMJ, cosmetics. So we basically do, we believe it all at the highest level it can be done. That's awesome. So cool to be able to provide all those services for your patients and kind of to refer inside of the practice like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's great. As far as what you're talking about with patient experience and trying to provide that that highest level, what are you know some of the two or three or four kind of main things that you felt like it really made a difference for your patients and their experience? I'll give you kind of the impetus for it. So my practice where I'm currently sitting is in a town called River Edge, New Jersey. I'm maybe, I don't know, nine miles from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And as such, we have a pretty sophisticated patient base, patients who are pretty affluent overall and have experiences in life that are at a high level. So, and given that, you know, the typical state of healthcare at that time or the oral surgery practice was kind of an antiquated office, uh, like a sliding window, which we've all kind of gone back to a little bit of the protection, but it was a very doctor closed off from the patient. And what I did was I opened up that experience. Again, we're talking about 15 years ago, everything open air, everything very inviting, very spa-like, always kind of trying to come up with like the newer, not ostentatious, subtle, mellow, but to create the right vibe. Everything from the music to the scent in the office, to the colors, to the fact that there's nothing dental displayed in my office was designed with the mindset that you're going to come here and you're going to have as, you know, and I use the word optimal in a way that like, because no one wants to be in an oral surgery place, right? So if you're going to have oral surgery, what's the best case scenario? And so literally every decision I make from the quality of the toilet paper to the quality of the bone graft material I use is designed with the concept that what will give us the best outcome or what will be most palatable to the patient. I mean, really, I'm that crazy. That's awesome. Sounds like it's working and I assume your patients are having a good experience and sounds pretty low stress, you know, despite the nature of the job. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we all, you know, I kind of liken it sometimes too, and maybe this is like, maybe I shouldn't really speak so behind the scenes, but you know, you go to Disney world and all the chaos is occurring underneath the streets. When you're above ground, everything is Disney here. It's like, Yes, it looks like everything is beautifully orchestrated and everything. It's because all of the little craziness that's going on behind the scenes. It's really that way. So my team does an excellent job manifesting what my vision really is. Very, very cool. And as far as, do you do anything special? I was just going to ask as far as like decreasing stress for your patients. I mean, other than the ambiance and the... No, no, we're not really... So as oral surgeons, 
the way we decrease the stress is do things very quickly, very efficiently, under anesthesia in many cases, in as good an environment as possible. We're not doing like foot massages or hand wax or nothing like that. Not that that's bad. It's just not the flavor of what we do here. It's everything that we do is really, I don't even know, I've never tried to like put it into words, but it's like, it's very clinical without being sterile and unemotional. There's the caring component to it, very caring in every way. I mean, the patients are escorted anywhere they're walking. I mean, it's just, it's very focused on that. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're not doing like baking cookies or nothing like that. Nothing like that. Oh, that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Not that that's wrong. It's just in my market, that's not how I differentiate myself. But, okay. Sounds good. And your practice, it's all OMFS or OMS surgeons. You don't have general dentists as part of your group, right? Not at all. Not at all. So we are, and pridefully say that, you know, we're still doctor owned and operated and run and I'm the founder and I guess the CEO, managing partner, whatever you want to call me. And, you know, we have a strong infrastructure. We've built an infrastructure kind of behind the scenes. I have a COO. I have a director of HR and someone under her. I have a director of marketing and I have a, you know, revenue cycle management team and all of that. But, you know, we still are, despite the fact of the interest in DSOs and private equity and investment bankers and things like that, we're still totally commercially financed, totally owned by us. And we've been fortunate because I think people by and large, despite what's going on, and I don't think there's anything wrong with corporate dentistry at all, if you can continue to focus on the patient experience, which sometimes is a difficult thing to do when you're trying to meet a number for EBITDA or something like that. I think that what we've done has been pretty exceptional and people want to thankfully come and join us on this kind of ride. And I was going to ask a little bit about that because it sounds like you've had a lot of success despite, you know, DSOs growing. How do you cater toward your referring doctors and make sure you continue that good relationship? There are a zillion things that we do in terms of referral management. Well, the number two most important things I think are availability and communication, right? So if you're a general dentist, you want to know that your patient is being, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I'm assuming you want your patient to be treated well, respectfully, properly, great outcomes. Patient comes back to you. You want to be able to be treated quickly, like, and you want honesty and transparency. So literally I pick up the phone, I call a doctor after I see a patient, certainly if it's a doctor I've never seen from or don't see much from or recent pickup or recent decrease in referrals. That's what I do. And any of the new surgeons, they have guidance from me in terms of what I think is best. And they all are brilliant themselves. So they know exactly what to do. It's communication, you know, like pick up the phone, text a guy. That's really what it comes down to. There are a lot of consultants out there and there are a lot of groups out there that are going to tell you what to do. And yes, things have changed given the world given social media, given people's attention spans, but basic human communication is a forever thing. And it's totally sometimes neglected. And that's where part of where we shine. Yeah, it goes a long way. Um, a lot of our guests on our podcast have talked about this, but it's good to hear it. And the way you're saying it, it's just so huge for your referring docs to know they can contact text you directly that it's quick communication it's not painful and 
going through, you know, 10 other people before they get to talk to you, that type of a thing. As far as young doctors, because we have a lot of dental students and residents who listen to this podcast, they make up the majority of our listeners. Uh, What advice do you have for some of these younger doctors who are trying to decide, you know, what to do with their career and how to be successful from the business standpoint? It's interesting. I think that when I look back at my career, a lot is kind of looked at, obviously, in retrospect. Things kind of happen to you that define or that help you determine which way you're going to go. I always feel, and it's going to sound a little bit cliche, but like your passion chooses you. You don't choose your passion. You can't go into a bar or restaurant or anywhere where you would meet somebody and find another human being someone that you would want to talk to or hang out with or whatever it is, because you're choosing that that's what you want to do. That person is attractive. And I don't mean just in the physical sense, but that person attracts you because of some kind of unknown thing, right? Whatever you call it. And it's the same thing with passions in professional life. I found myself loving exodontia in dental school. Like I was very fortunate to have found that. I may not have had Had I not had like a clinical instructor who believed in me or who was willing to go on a limb, maybe it would never have felt right to me or maybe I would never have been exposed to it. And then I was very, very lucky to find people through my career who were willing to help me either in residency, get into residency, find jobs afterwards, whatever it was. So I think like, I guess that like I'm all tangential right here on my thinking, but I think that the right way to look at it is... Do as much as you can experience, and this is a life premise as well, experience as much as you can. And only once you experience a lot, can you really understand what's interesting to you? You know, a lot of people are like, ah, I do really well in dental school. I'm going to be an oral surgeon or an orthodontist. Those two things are so completely different. And just because both of us did well enough in dental school to be able to make the choice where we want to end up, there's never, in my opinion, if you're a surgeon type, you're a guy who like, or a woman who wants to see a problem, go in, fix a problem, move on, or, and use your hands to do that. Obviously your brain as well, but you know, you're actually fixing a problem. Or are you somebody who likes to kind of think in a more of an abstract way, have longer term relationships. You want to wear a little tie and pants and stuff like that, as opposed to like whatever it is that describes you and like what fulfills you and who you are. That's, the direction you should go. It shouldn't be based or predicated on like, I can make more money here or do that. You can make a lot of money doing any kind of dentistry. So if you're motivated by money and financial success, which you shouldn't be, not to say it's not important, you can be successful, but you have to really love what you do. And the only way to know that you're going to love what you do uh, is to do a lot of different things. So that's what I would say. Do things, a lot of different things. That's a good point. I think there's a lot of hesitancy for, you know, young residents to pick something. They think, you know, a lot of it is there's too much permanence and it's hard to change course once you've kind of jumped on a train. And so our listeners of the podcast, there's a lot who will email me and say, well, what do you think about, you know, corporate dentistry or own my own thing or starting from scratch or buying some other guy out? And it's hard to say, from my standpoint, what's the best situation for them? But I think what you're saying is important. I think it's really good to try different things, certainly shadow different things, talk to a lot of people and 
maybe your decision to start from scratch right out of residency will be something that you just learn from and you don't do permanently and you end up going a different direction. Right. I mean, look, the fact is part of the beauty of like oral maxillofacial surgery is the number of different roads you can travel and the different kind of ways you can be fulfilled. If you want to do a lot of OR stuff, if you want to do no OR stuff, if you want to do only cosmetics and you're willing to take the time and fight the fights or move into areas where you don't have to fight the fights, that's up to you. And nothing is permanent. It's funny. Like I listen, I'm sure your generation listens to this guy, Gary V, right? So VaynerMedia, he speaks about like macro patients and like all this stuff. I'm 48 years old. I still, this is not BS. I still don't know really kind of what I want to do. My professional life has evolved substantially over the years. So I have the benefit of hindsight to be able to say like, if you would have asked me when I was 29 coming out of residency or 32 starting Riverside, where I would be at this point in my life, I would have no ability to predict it. Not that it was beyond my imagination, but like, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what opportunities are going to be presented. You don't know what failures you're going to have to go through or obstacles, physical or, or psychological or economical or whatever it is. I mean, I have teenage daughters and, and I used to talk about how entitled they were and how easy they had it and all this kind of stuff. And then you put them in a position where they just had to go through COVID. I mean, I guess we're kind of still going through COVID, whatever. They've had to deal with that. And then the anxiety associated with the FOMO of social media, knowing where all your friends are at all the time or whatever. There's a lot that this generation has had to endure that I don't think I would have been so happy with dealing with. Again, more tangential thought. The fact is, is that I think that the opportunities are endless. Nothing is permanent. You can shift at any moment. And I think one thing that the younger generation, like the people at your audience and my audience has over my generation is kind of the, the understanding that you only live once and that you have an opportunity to enjoy and should enjoy. My generation, very focused on like, put your head down, work as hard as you can. Don't take off any vacation, miss your family's things because work is more important. Work is more, is the essential thing. And we missed stuff. I mean, I'm obviously speaking about myself, we missed stuff. So I think you guys, you guys, I don't know what, I think you told me how old you were. The point is that there's a lot of opportunity. Everybody's in a really good spot. Yeah, totally agree. And I just love that attitude that you have and that advice to try as much as you can and don't be so freaked out about picking a course and maybe correcting, you know, and, and being able to change and adapt and kind of move with your surrounding and your passion. As far as doing social media, any words of advice for young people trying to figure that out and kind of work it in conjunction with their practice or maybe just use it as a teaching platform? Yeah, so I speak to this a lot. Like I do a lot of talking on this kind of thing. So first of all, you have to identify your goal and your audience. You have to understand what you're looking to achieve. It's a very challenging, if not impossible, to have an account like mine, whose audience is clearly professionals, all kinds of dental medical professionals, maybe some freaks who like bloody teeth. But that's a very different type of account 
from an account for your practice, which wants to highlight the team and the people and the offerings and all of that. And to try to make that one thing is, I think, a mistake. You can use one against the other to help both, but I don't think that being everything to everyone is the answer. I also think that trying to emulate other accounts ultimately becomes clearly inauthentic and will not yield a real following, right? So I think you have to differentiate what is great about you and why. And there will be people who like you and people who don't like you, just like real life. Your audience will come to you if it's designed to come to you. And if not, sorry, it's just kind of the natural way of the world. But I think you have to be an individual and something special. I mean, if you look at the oral surgery, specific oral surgery accounts, Forget the dental stuff, but if you're looking specifically at oral surgery and you look at Ben Johnson, PNW OMS, he does something very different than I do. He does it better. He does what he does better than what I do. I think I do what I do better than what he does. I'm not talking about our hands or our surgical skills. I'm talking about the way we manage our accounts. It's the same thing like Surgical Gourmet, who is also an incredible chef in addition to being a brilliant oral surgeon and shows both sides of that. And then if you look at Amarillo Oral Surgery, those guys down there, they've got like basically a TV show on this social media channel. So everybody's got their own little kind of thing. And I mean, everyone who's successful in the game has their own kind of little thing. So that's what it is. Yeah. But take home messages, be authentic, do your own thing, try not to. Yeah. What's different about you? If you're going to post the same stuff, listen, I respect when you're young and you're trying to figure it out and you see, you think this works or whatever. But I'm often asked in DMs on Instagram, like, how do I get more followers or whatever it is? It's really like if you're posting the same thing that I'm posting, You'll get to a certain point because there are enough people out there who want to look at it, but you're not going to attract new audience. You got to do something that's different. You like that guy Bentist, right? Like obviously much bigger than I am on a national scale right now. The Bentist has got like millions of followers on TikTok. He's on some dancing show on TV. I don't personally like, I shouldn't say this, but whatever. I don't necessarily agree with everything he does or says, but I respect his game right? He's a hustler. He clearly is tapped into something. He understands what it is to attract people. It's the same thing like Mike Appa, right? Michael Appa, cosmetic dentist, New York City, Dubai, LA. He's brought the whole kind of lifestyle into the dental world. Or Swole DDS, right? Guy's great. He's lifting really heavy shit, excuse my language. And he's, I mean, really unbelievable. I'm always concerned he's going to injure himself. And he's doing dentistry. So like there's what I'm saying is that the accounts that stand out in my brain are not copycat accounts. They're all individual personalities. And that's basically what it is. Got it. Okay. Well, that's been really helpful. I think a lot of our listeners will benefit from hearing that. We do have a, definitely have a contingency of older surgeons who it's kind of an awkward thing to try to figure out social media and link it to your practice and deal with it. But I mean, yeah, there's lots of good companies and people who can assist you with that. I say respectfully. I don't know if I agree with that because I think that the companies that are out there to help you improve your social media are basically looking to sell you packages of stuff to put on your social media account. I don't want to rip everyone because I don't clearly know everyone who's in that business. But I do think that as an older surgeon who's now kind of stuck between like the generational gap 
and a large scale national surgical organization may be practicing near them or acquiring practices near them and they're or dental dso's that have the vertical of having the oral surgeon in their office like they're scared and they're being sold the concept that if you have an instagram account you're going to get patients an instagram account is not something that in my opinion yields patients for most practitioners an instagram account is something that supports your brand. Like when I open a new practice, I'm going to do an adopt a highway. I'm going to put a sign up. My brand name is going to be on the highway so that it's not a costly thing. It just every day people drive by it. They see Riverside Oral Surgery, Riverside Oral Surgery. It's just something. And Instagram is something that you need or that supports the brand. It's not a driver of business in most cases. And so I would kind of speak to my colleagues who are many of whom my age and older who don't really understand the game. If you post graphics of like happy Thanksgiving, happy Memorial day, happy pride month, happy this, happy that, whatever, that is not doing anything for you. You'll get no engagement. It's nothing. And you're being sold a bill of goods. If you're buying that kind of, in my opinion, if you're buying that kind of stuff, the stuff that works for practices are what makes your business and your practice different? Like our best posts, the ones that are best received are videos generally of people who work with us for us, whatever it is, having a good time, smiling, celebrating a birthday, doing a funny, stupid dance because they want to see the real personality. They want to understand like, who am I going to see? I'm making a, an investment in healthcare. Are these people, people that I could like hang out with and be friends with or you know relate to in some way got it okay that makes sense something to support your brand something to you know like facebook think about facebook 10 years ago or whatever it would be although facebook is more where people are gonna like potentially shop for you because of the parent groups right so typically it's like you know moms of this town or of that town or whatever my daughter or my son needs his or her wisdom teeth out. Who would you go to? And then there's a list like, go to see Jason Auerbach. He's the best. Forget Auerbach. Go see Sung Hee Cho. Go see this guy, whatever. And so the fact is, is like, you need to be there. You need to be involved, but you need to first earn your place in the community. Putting up an Instagram account is not going to yield patience. That's what it comes down to. Okay. That's helpful to know. Okay. Well, good. There are listeners who've listened to this and have, you know, further questions. Are you okay with them reaching out to you? You prefer definitely, them? You definitely. Are? Okay. Yeah. So the best way to reach out to me is through my email. The best way is either JMA, Jason Michael Auerbeck, JMA at RiversideOralSurgery.com or BloodyToothGuy at gmail.com. I also can be DM'd at BloodyToothGuy on Instagram. And so those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Cool. We end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So I'll send those your way. First one is what is the best book you've read in the past year? The best book I've read in the past year? Well, that's a good question. I would say David and Goliath by what's his name? Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, by Gladwell. Great book. Most of his stuff is like brilliant for anyone who doesn't know. He's someone that I read. I probably read it. I don't want to say everything he's ever written, but most of his long form stuff. And I love it. Yeah. That's one of my all time favorites. Love it. Next question. 
What non-oral surgery thing do you do in your life that helps you with your daily oral surgery skills? Honestly, I think probably the thing that I do that helps me most with my oral surgery skills, not the skills, not hands or physical or anything like that, is I listen to music. I listen to a lot of music. I go see a lot of live music, which I think that for me calms me. It brings me to a centered place. It also kind of expands my mind to some degree without getting to whatever. It's a kind of an escape, which when you do what we do is necessary. So I think the time away in my own space helps me focus when I'm here. Next question. What forceps do you use to extract tooth number 20? <laughs> tooth number 20, I usually use an ash forcep. It's nice. I mean, as long as it has the right tip and it engages appropriately, you just rotate that out easily. Totally. Love it. Okay. What's uh, your all-time favorite movie? I could say Shawshank. You know, I love Shawshank. It's a great movie. I also could say, so I've been watching right now The Offer on Paramount Plus. It's like not Netflix. It's some streaming service. The Offer is about the making of The Godfather. And The Godfather to me is like lives as like an all time, probably my among my favorite. I have probably 30 favorite movies. Yeah. So let's go with Godfather because it's the best movie of all time. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Last question. What is your favorite quote? You know, I like that whole Teddy Roosevelt thing about, you know, it's not the critic that counts. There's a whole like soliloquy he's got on that. It's brilliant. You should listen to it. It's great. But I actually, it's my high school yearbook quote is a time you enjoy wasting isn't wasted time. And so, I mean, if you could just kind of be with yourself or the people you love and having a good time, that's really where the good life is, right? So that's totally, that's what what I'll go with. Okay. That sounds great. Jason, thank you so much for being gracious enough to take your time and kind of talk to me and our listeners. I really appreciate it. No trouble. Let me say one thing only because I want to do like a little plug, which is not my nature, but I'm going to do a little plug if it's okay with you. Is it of okay course. with you? Yes. Yes. All right. All right. So anyone who knows me knows like I am really like very, like I, I mentioned the toilet paper and the things like I am crazy attention to detail. About a year and a half ago, a guy named Hasib reached out to me. Hasib runs a company called TBS Instruments, TBS Dental. We collaborated on surgical instrumentation for the general dentist or young surgeon who can actually have like a surgical kit that gives them the majority of the things that they would need to do minor dental alveolar surgery and exodontia. So I would say look out for that. It's coming from TBS Dental. We had a great, great response to our pre-order. That was a few weeks ago. TBSDental.com or TBS Instruments on Instagram. I promise you they are exceptionally well-made, well-designed, and very, very sexy instruments. That's it. And I thank you for allowing me to say that stuff because it's true, but it's nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great thing to be available. That's really, really cool. All right, Jason, you're the man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. No trouble. Anything you ever need, just give me a shout. Sounds good. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. For more information on these podcasts, please visit everydayoralsurgery.com. I would love it if you would also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook through our everyday oral surgery pages. Also, if you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please, please email me at grantstuckey at gmail.com 
or you can text or call me at 720-441-6059. If you have any topics you'd like to hear discussed on this podcast or feedback on certain episodes that have already aired, also please call or email me. I've found many of our interviewees through people contacting me after listening, and for that I am supremely grateful. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.